Uh, we're going to go and now have a chat with uh, with Michael Del Zotto. Good morning to you, Michael. G'day, Simon. How are you going? Going well, mate. Thank you. Um, now, um, the uh, a little bit, little bit uh, of action going on there, mate, <laughs> with your phone. Oh, okay. Can't. Can you hear me? Or yeah, I can hear right? you. Just yeah, it was uh, a bit of crashing and bashing. Um, mate, okay. we uh, we wanted to have a chat uh, with you this morning because. We talk. The show's all about Pinot, uh, you know, all things Pinot. So, yep. knowing that you understand the Pinot Grigio variety very well, um, we thought yeah. uh, we thought we might might get the lowdown from you. Ah, oh, fair enough. No problem. Love to. Love to have a chat. So, um, so we just we just had a chat with um with Kathleen Queerly from um Queerly Winemakers down on the Mornington Peninsula about particularly about um Pinot Gris. So, yeah. Um, so. To, to sort of compare and contrast, um, yeah. the the Pinot Grigio that you guys uh, are growing, obviously you have you you have Italian heritage, so yeah, um, correct. It's yeah. very. Are you you making and making the wine in the style of that northern Italian? Um, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Got you off. No, um, come on. Yeah. Yeah, more in that sort of yeah, like around that Friuli area. So a little bit, um, you know, picking it probably around about that eleven and a half. Between 11 and 12 Beaumont, yeah. and getting those lovely fresh characters. Probably the one thing that we do is, and I don't know if sort of you've been up through that Alto Adige area and that area, there's a couple of nice Grigios up around there, and they do a little bit more um, lease contact. So it help, helps build a bit of complexity and structure in the wine. So we do a little bit of lease contact at the end of ferment just to help. We just think that helps enrich the wine a little bit more. So still sticking with that Italian style, that you know, which, which is what we're... Yeah, which is what our history is about, yeah. and where we're from, and um, along those lines, yeah, yeah. So, um, if we were to describe it, there, you know, terms people use terms like um, you know, fresh and zippy and yep. and citrusy. Um, are you yep. getting that sort of lemon citrus um, sort of characteristic out of the the wines you're making out of the King Valley? Yeah, we're definitely getting those sort of you know lovely sort of limes, that those fresh fruits, and then sort of. You know when you get you, you pick a really nice sort of fresh white nectarine or a white peach, those sort of characters coming through as well. So really, always looking at that lovely sort of freshness and and like that, like you said, I think the zippy is actually a really good descriptor for that zippy racy acidity that you get on the finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's where we sort of sit with what we're trying to do, and then then through that lees contact, just to help to sort of fill that palate out and really create something that has some some lovely sort of um, mouthfeel and, and length to it. Does, does that, so um, when you use that term, you know, lees contact, that's, a, that's stirring the, the lees um, through, the, through the wine, obviously, is it? Yeah, just post-ferment. So prior to, bot, prior to bottling, we just, before we clean it, clean it up, yep. we're sort of leaving it there on lees and, you know, giving it a bit of a, a stir every now and again. Not too much. Because we're not wanting to develop too much of those characters, they're just there to help. Just yeah, a little just help. interesting, as you say, texture. So, so Correct. this is that that process of and what lees is. Just for people who sort of don't understand, um, is really the um, what's left after the the sugar and the yeast react yep. in that fermentation. Correct. Yeah, so yeah, yeast holes and um, you know, uh, bits of grape and, and pulp and mark and that that have sort of not, you know, that have been there through the juice, at the juice phase and stayed within the ferment and then you'll clean it off 
some what you would call gross, which is the really heavy leaves, and then you'd leave nice little film down the bottom and um, just and yeah, like I said, helps to just helps to complement the wine, I think, um, which is what we've really focused on, try, and trying to keep it that same sort of style year in year out. Yeah, yeah. Um, now uh, the the thing about um, about Pinot Grigio and also um, you know Pinot Gris essentially coming from the same plant, um, yep. so they. They they're lighter in acid. Both um, that that's what that variety will, will throw. Is that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, I suppose that that comes down to again then when you pick it. So if you're mm-hmm. picking it a little lower in Beaumais, so you're not sort of going to that sort of twelve and a half, thirteen, thirteen and a half. You're not getting. You know, you're going to get acid to fall out slowly as the grape ripens. The fruit ripens. The the acid will fall away. Yeah. What we're getting is we're you know we're picking it a little earlier, so you're getting some of that acid, and I think that's why. You know, like when you when we were just saying before, around that sort of racy, zippy acidity that you get with um, Pinot Grigio as opposed to Gris. Gris got that sort of that, like I'm sure, you know, Catherine being the queen of Gris, mm-hmm. um, you're getting the more viscosity in the palate, so more developed through that glycerolic characters through the ferment through through higher, little higher alcohol. So, whereas Grigio, low, lower in alcohol, sort of a little bit more of that freshness and acidity there, and that's coming through because we are you know harvesting it a little earlier yeah and have you got uh are they the vineyards that you're growing these on are they um elevated like they yeah fairly is that that's the key is it to me yeah that's the key yeah um and uh so yeah so cool climates they like and yes. hillsides yeah, was the other thing they, so in in italy are they grown on the hillside Typically, yeah, in in Italy, typically they're grown on you know on the on the hillside. You're sort of looking anywhere between sort of that two fifty to sort of that four or five hundred meters above sea level, and that's what you're sort of seeing around the King Valley with the Pinot Grigios that we have there. They're grown in various different microclimates within different valleys, mm-hmm. and you're seeing yeah anything from, you know, you're seeing stuff around Whitfield, for instance. It's about I think Whitfield's around that two thirty mark above sea level. Yeah, and then you go up through Chesant, which is up around four hundred. Um, sort of where mum and dad have got their vineyard there where we grow our Grigio and then you've got stuff that's growing up on top of the Whitlands High, um, Whitlands High Plains there the area there which is still King Valley but that's at 800 700, 800 metres above sea level yeah. so you're getting all these lovely cool climate you know characters and, and different different vineyards are producing different characters and different um, different results with their Grigios yeah so the, so the aromatics of, of the of the um, wine changes, doesn't it, depending on the, the temperature and the, and the conditions of the site? Yeah, correct, correct. Mm. You get different characters. It's probably more more of that sort of citrusy characters. The higher you go up, the mm-hmm. sort of the lower fruit tends to get. You know, you probably get a, you really get some introduction of more some stone fruit characters as well, and melon. Sort of thing. Yeah. Now, do you do you make them as single vineyard or do you blend? Um, them together to sort of get a few different aspects of this all coming together? Yeah. We, we pretty much just work off our chestnut vineyard because mm-hmm. that's where all our, our Grigel is. So yeah. we're sort of really focused on that and that's around about that sort of, you know, anywhere that's around three to three to 400 odd above sea level. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, what we're, that's where our, our Grigel comes from. So it's more of those fresh, really fresh, light characters, making it a lovely sort of, yeah, fresh, vibrant, easy wine to drink. Um, they, they call it the winemaker's grape. Why? Would you know why that is? Wow. Well, <laughs> they certainly don't. I, I, could, I, I know why they don't call it the viticulturalist grape. 
that's for sure. Not, it's, a not, nice, not it's, a, it's, a, it's a tight bunch. Yeah. It's, um, presents presents some headaches in the vineyard sort of late in harvest. So if you're, you're getting some wet days or some humidity, it definitely doesn't like that. Um, it is, look, it's from a winemaker's perspective, it's quite simple for us because what we're trying to do is encapsulate what we get with the fruit out of the vineyard uh, into that finished product wine so we're not interfering with it too much. So no mm. sulphur. A little bit of you know, a little bit of enzyme to help clarify, but other than that, it's just you know, harvested into the press, in the tank, clean, racked, and then start the fermentation. So yeah, I could understand how how they had termed that. I've never heard that before, so that's quite interesting. Mm. So, but but when I if I look at the process, I go yeah, okay. There's not a lot like the winemaker just goes okay, if the fruit's good, bang bang bang, you quickly into the ferment and off you go. And they're typically you know nice healthy ferments. So. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that where that term comes from. Yeah. But if you were to ask a bit of culturalist, they'd probably say, yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, have you uh, have you ever had a had a crack at using some oak with them with a Grigio? No, we've not done that ourselves. We've um, the only yeah, look, we've never ever done oak in our Grigio. Um, and I do, I think, look, I've not actually come across many that have. To yeah. be honest, you know, speak sort of going down that green path. Or, yeah, well, yeah. it's easy to be, isn't it? Um, and then apparently you can actually um, make it make it as a um, dessert wine as well. So you know, yeah, really late yep. harvest. Yeah, which is what we've done mm-hmm. as well. We've we've had a crack at the dessert wine, um, and what it, what it was, it, it comes from an old Italian style where it was, where you're taking fruits that not you know, it's um you're ripening the fruit. We ripen it to probably about 13 and a half, 14, and then we press it. And it's only, we only do a small amount. So the, the, the free run we push through to be part of our Grigio blend, but it's a small portion. Then we press the rest of the grapes really aggressively. So we're wanting to get the phenolics out of the seeds and the skins. Mm. And, and then we allow it to just, we just leave the tank open and let it wild ferment for about a bome, a bome and a half, and then add back, add back brandy spirit to bring it to an alcohol of around 13 and a half, 14%. Okay. And you get this lovely sort of wine that's got these really nice sort of rich apricot, honeyed characters going on. And then once the um, once the fruit, once the fruit and the spirit integrate nicely, it just yeah, it's a quite a pleasantly fresh. It's got this lovely sort of that freshness there of lemon. So you've got that lovely citrus character, and then you get these lovely honey honeyed characters, and um, and also some. That uh, what is it? Apricot, those really nice apricot characters going on. So it's a, it's a bit of an interesting, it's an interesting little dessert wine. Mm. Is it something you do all the time, or it's just now and then you have a play around with it? Oh, uh, we probably do it like it's sort of something that we have at cellar door. So mm-hmm. we do it as as demand sort of requires. So if we're if we're sort of as we're going, oh, we're getting a little bit low, we'll make a little bit more. So we're not not something we do every single year. Um, but yeah, it's sort of some, it's certainly a little dessert that people enjoy when they have it, say there at the at the Trattoria with some um, panna cotta or sort of, mm. sort of lemon delicious something like that. Yeah, it works really well. Um, and now speaking about uh, you know visiting and and uh, and what we what's in store there. So uh, you're outside the the lockdown area, but we're um, so we obviously can't come from Melbourne to you. Not uh, just yet. Not just <laughs> yet. <laughs> Uh, are you actually open still, though, and, and, and yeah. taking visitors from the rest of Victoria? Yeah, so what we've been really, we've actually been really pleased, pleasantly surprised, because we were sort of thinking with this lockdown, thinking that, well, New South Wales can't come down, Melbourne can't come down. We were thinking it's going to be quiet, but, you know, we, we're able to do 20 people at a time every 
sort of we do two sittings of 20. Yep. And th- those sittings, we're opening open Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Friday night. And we're getting over 30 people quite solidly through all those days. Mm-hmm. And, and the evening, Friday evening's been quite good. So we've been, you know, there's people travelling about, which we're really thankful for and thankful that people are out there supporting us um, because... It's keeping, you know, because we have some visa workers and that that aren't getting any of their, any help, and it's keeping those guys in some work and earning mm. some money, which is, which is, you know, great for their health and mental health and well-being. So we've we've stayed open because um, we just feel it's important that, you know, people are out there wanting to come here and support us. It's really, you know, let's be open and mm. and um, be able to provide them something. We've really changed our menu too, so we've gone down the path of. Um, a very much a traditional Italian trattoria. So Nikki and G, the chefs, are making fresh pasta every day, um, and they'll have three different types of pasta on. And then we'll, and then we've got our pizza oven cranking out wood-fired pizzas. So we're very much, you know, keeping it nice and rustic and simple with some beautiful fresh produce and beautiful fresh, you know, fresh pasta and pizza that's mm. you know wood-fired pizza. So and people are quite enjoying that. So it's been we've been really really happy with. With the amount of people coming through, considering the environment, so yeah. we're we're very thank very very thankful for that, and and as soon as we can hopefully get on top of all this, we can have some, you know, the rest of the population start to come and visit again. Yeah, and it's uh, look, you've always got plenty in normal times. You've always got plenty of uh, things going on, and you know, events and different things. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it feels like it'll probably be you know well into spring that we're we're sort of able to do that, but um, yeah. Yep. It, I think, um, well, you, you know, your menu may even in some way sort of stay that more simple style. I think so. Like mum, mum's working in the garden feverishly. So, you know, she, she sort of will start to now get stuff ready for planting and planting to get ready for spring stuff. So it's it's very much where we're going, you know, actually people are really enjoying this. Mm. And we're thinking, well, really for us, it's about the line. Um, and the traditional, you know, being very traditionally Italian and saying, well, this is what we would get. If we were, if we were going to travel, this is what we'd be looking for. Why not just, this is what we can do. Yeah. So we will definitely, we'll definitely stay on those, on, on that path, definitely. And, and for us, everything we do, then that makes it for us, everything we do is either, can be either gluten free, vegan, vegetarian. We can satisfy everything yeah. by doing it all. That- doing that, keeping it very simple and, 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 um, yeah, very clear on what we want to do. Well, that sounds fantastic. So, now, so to round out our discussion about Pinot Grigio, and we're talking yep. food. Tell, yep. you, you've clearly had a bottle or two of your own Pinot Grigio. Yep. That time. Yep, yep. What have you found um, that works particularly well with um, with Pinot Grigio? I've, I've always, I always find it works really well with a nice, like, piece of fish, just a nice, delicate piece of fish, like a. Yeah, you know, like a flathead or a blue eye, something like that, but not overpowering. Mm-hmm. And and it can it can deal with a little bit of oil, or you know, it can have a little bit of richness there. If you want to really make it sort of put a bit of a sauce with it or whatever, that'll work really well because that acidity helps to really cut through that. Otherwise, for me, I just yeah, I just love having it sitting outside in autumn mm-hmm. on the deck, glass of wine, kick back and relax. <laughs> Sounds perfect for today, really. Um, yeah, not don't, don't limit it to autumn. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate. Awesome. Um, great to chat again, Michael. Um, no pleasure. Thank thanks again. Thanks for calling. Yeah. It. No, it's. Um, <clears throat> we look forward to. Yeah, as I say, coming back and, and checking out the new menu and um, and yeah, seeing you guys again. So, 
enjoy your afternoon. And um, I will. And uh, yeah, get, stay safe throughout all this time, hey. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. You too, okay? Look after yourself. Yeah, good one. Thanks, mate. Thank you. See you, Mike. Cheers. Bye. Bye.